Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company. They do a great job. And uh, you can give them a call. The website is johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. We have a terrific program for you today, including guest Bob Levy. He is the chairman emeritus of the Cato Institute. We'll be talking about the controversy over social media. And Professor Andrew Joppa, uh, an author of Josephus of Oz, will be joining us as well. It is March the 29th, and on this day in 1973, two months after the signing of the Vietnam Peace Agreement, the last U.S. combat troops left South Vietnam as Hanoi freed many of the remaining American prisoners of war held in North Vietnam. America's direct eight-year intervention in the Vietnam War was at an end. In Saigon, some 7,000 U.S. Department of Defense civilian employees remained behind to aid South Vietnam in conducting what looked like to be a fierce and ongoing war with communist North Vietnam. In 1971, after two decades of indirect military aid, the U.S. uh, President John F. Kennedy sent the first large force of U.S. military personnel to support the ineffectual autocratic regime of South Vietnam against the Communist North. Three years later, with South Vietnamese government crumbling, President Lyndon Bain Johnson ordered uh, limited bombing raids on North Vietnam, and Congress authorized the use of U.S. troops. By 1965, North Vietnamese Offensive uh, left President Johnson with two choices, escalate U.S. involvement or withdraw. Johnson ordered the former, and troops level soon jumped to more than 300,000 as U.S. Air Force uh, commenced the uh, largest bombing campaign in history. During the next few years, the extended length of the war, the high number of U.S. casualties, and the exposure of U.S. involvement in war crimes, such as the massacre at My Lai, helped turn many of the U.S. uh, United States against the Vietnam The communist Tet Offensive of 1968 crushed U.S. hopes of an imminent end to the conflict and galvanized U.S. opposition to the war. In response, Johnson announced in March 1968 that he would not seek re-election. Now, this guy won by a big margin when he was elected president, but he didn't want to seek re-election because of this, citing what he perceived to be his responsibility in creating a perilous national division over Vietnam. He also authorized the beginning of peace talks. In the spring of 1969, as protests against the war escalated in the United States, U.S. troop strength in the war-torn country reached its peak at uh, nearly 550,000 men. Richard Nixon, the next new uh, U.S. president, began U.S. troop withdrawal and the Vietnamization of the war effort that year, but he intensified bombing. Large U.S. troops withdrawals continued in the early 1970s as President Nixon expanded air and ground operations in Cambodia and Laos in attempts to block enemy uh, supply routes along Vietnam's border. The expansion of war, with accomplished uh, few positive results, led to the new waves of protests in the United States and elsewhere. Finally, in January 1973, representatives of the United States in North and South Vietnam and the Viet Cong signed a peace agreement in Paris, ending the direct U.S. military involvement in the Vietnam War. Its key provisions provided a ceasefire through Vietnam, the withdrawal of U.S. forces, and the release of prisoners of war. 
And our own Wayne Smith from uh, Naples here was uh, in the Hanoi Hilton for, I think, seven or eight years, six years. Forgotten now, but nevertheless, not a pleasant experience. And the reunification of North and South Vietnam through peaceful means. The South Vietnamese government was to remain in place until new elections were held, and North Vietnamese forces in the South were not able to advance further, nor be reinforced. In reality, however, the agreement was little more than a face-saving gesture by the U.S. government. Even before the last American troops departed on March the 29th, the communists violated the ceasefire, and by early 1974, full-scale war had resumed. Uh, At the end of 1974, South Vietnamese authorities reported that 80,000 of their soldiers and civilians had been killed in fighting during the year, making it the most costly of the Vietnam War. On April 30, 1975, the last few Americans still in Vietnam were airlifted out of the country as Saigon fell to the communist forces. North Vietnamese uh, colonel uh, accepted the surrender of South Vietnam later in the day and remarked, you have nothing to fear between Vietnamese. There are no victors and no vanquished. Only the Americans have been defeated, he said. The Vietnam War was the longest and most unpopular war in U.S. history and cost 58,000 American lives. As many as 2 million Vietnamese soldiers and civilians were killed as well. Unbelievable. The Vietnam War. Uh, When are we going to learn our lesson not to intervene in other world affairs that don't affect us? I think this was all because of the communist scare and the fact that uh, this would lead to an overrun of Asia by the communists. But uh, have things changed? Not much. Well, Vice President Kamala Harris stumbled over her words during a speech in Ghana on Monday, serving up yet another word salad on the world stage. Now, this this speech was being really promoted, and she was going to make a big difference. And here's a quote. There are a number of things on the issue of uh, the economy as a whole that we must do, and a lot of that work is the work that I am here to do on this continent, she said. Harris, who has been compared to the hapless main character of HBO show Veep by The Daily Show, was in Africa to strengthen U.S. ties to the region. China has increased its influence over the continent as part of the U.S. President Xi uh, and the Belt and Road Initiative. Vice President Kamala Harris delivered another halting, repetitive speech, this time in Ghana as part of the Biden administration's push to build closer ties with Africa. She continued, as you mentioned, we have had today, this afternoon, a wide-ranging discussion. We've had discussed a number of important topics, Harris repeating herself, including the importance of concepts and priorities such as freedom and liberty. She's 58, I'm reflected on the age of the people in Africa. The median age of the continent of Africa is 19 years of age. Think about that and what it means in terms of potential, she said. Think about the fact that 2050... One in four people occupying a place on Mother Earth will be on this continent and what that means. She didn't take the time or effort to spell out what it means. We're all supposed to guess. Anyhow, Harris also drew ridicule last week during the speech she gave on Women's History Month. We talked about that uh, earlier this week. So during Women's History Month, we celebrate and honor the woman who made history through hip, throughout history. We saw what could be unburdened and what has been, Harris said. Her delivery was uh, widely marked online, and one columnist uh, called the speech an absolute cringe. On another occasion, she spoke at length on Venn diagrams. I love Venn diagrams, she said during a climate crisis with uh, discussion with Senator 
Senator, uh, Secretary of Energy Jennifer Granholm in January. I do. I love Venn diagrams. So the three circles, and you can do more. Nobody says a Venn diagram has to have only three circles, right? <laughs> that is our Vice President of the United States. Unbelievable. Well, a bolstered French police forces clashed with demonstrators in numerous cities uh, yesterday as hundreds of thousands of marchers protested President Emmanuel Macron's unpopular retirement reform. Security was ramped up for the 10th round of protest marches since January after the government warned that some demonstrators intended to destroy, to injure, and to kill. The Interior Ministry put the number of demonstrators nationwide at 740,000, down from a million five days earlier. Uh, Macron's order to ram the bill uh, raising France's legal retirement age from 62 to 64 through Parliament without a vote. The uh, Paris police counted 93,000 in Paris compared to 119,000 last Thursday when violence reached its peak. So I guess if Macron's going to continue, of course, uh, uh, protests are nothing new in, in uh, France and uh, Paris. Uh, and uh, I think uh, Macron will probably get his way. But you know what? All countries are going to have to deal with this issue because uh, the populace is getting older and there are fewer younger people to fill in and pay, and pay for these programs as people retire. It's probably a wise fiscal move, but probably not done in the right way. Well, Representative Jim Jordan on Monday, demanded answers from the Internal Revenue Service about why the IRS agent allegedly made an in-person visit to the New Jersey home of investigative journalist Mac Taibbi, with Jordan suggesting possible witness intimidation. Now, can you believe this? He was on the stand, and uh, the IRS was visiting his home. Uh, what's interesting about this to me is that the uh, the uh, United States is not hiding anymore or ashamed of the fact that they're weaponizing these agencies like the FBI, the Internal Revenue Service, Service uh, Home, Department of Homeland Security. They're just doing it, and they're saying this is the way it's going to be in, in one way. Jordan penned a letter to IRS Commissioner Daniel Werfel and Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen in which the House Judiciary Committee chairman requested all documents and communications related to the IRS's alleged field visit to Aibi's New Jersey home on March the 9th, the same day the journalist appeared before Congress to testify on government abuse. In light of the hostile reaction to Mr. Taibbi's reporting among left-wing activists and the IRS's history as a tool of government abuse, the IRS action could be interpreted as an attempt to intimidate a witness before Congress, he wrote in his letter, which was obtained by uh, this news outlet. Taibbi, who is one of the journalists who was given access to internal Twitter communications as part of the Twitter files reporting, appeared on March 9th before the Select Subcommittee on Weaponization of the Federal Government, which uh, Jordan, by the way, chairs. At the hearing, Taibbi discussed evidence that the federal government had pressured tech companies to censor content. Taibbi's reporting on the Twitter files, to which he was granted access by Musk, reference correspondence between the federal officials and social media executives that included requests to remove content uh, from the platforms. While TV was uh, testifying before Congress, an IRS agent visited his private residence in New Jersey and left a note asking Taibbi to contact the tax agency, according to the journalist's letter, or Jordan's letter. The circumstances surrounding the IRS unannounced and unprompted visit to Taibbi's home at the exact time that he was testifying before Congress, 
uh, about the most serious government abuse that he has witnessed in his career are incredible, Jordan wrote. Uh, Jordan said that the letter that the IRS indicated it had rejected Taibbi's 2019 and 21 tax filings over concerns of possible identity theft. Now think about that. <clears throat> How long has this been going on? A lot of time has passed. And right now there's some issue about identity theft that requires a personal visit to his home? I don't think so. This is obvious intimidation. What's troubling, according to Jordan, is that the visit came on the same day that he was testifying. The IRS's visit is more than concerning in light of Mr. Taibbi's assertions that the IRS informed him the problems were not monetary and that he'd never received any prior indication of issues with his 2018 return. These facts demand a careful examination by the committee uh, to determine whether the visit was a thinly veiled attempt to influence or intimidate a witness before Congress, Jordan wrote. Taibbi, for his part, took to Twitter, saying that he was deferring comment on the matter until the IRS replied to Jordan's demands. Smart move on his part. For those asking, I don't want to comment on the IRS issue pending on uh, the letter from Jim Jordan. I'm not worried for myself, but I did feel the committee should be aware of the situation. Unbelievable. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. I hope you'll visit the website and give them a call. The website is johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. Coming up, Bob Levy. He is the chairman emeritus of the Cato Institute. That and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harton Show here on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. I'm Bob Harden, the host of the Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulabees.com and stop by Lulabee's Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m., seven days a week. Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabee's Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Collier County Sheriff Kevin Rambaugh says the number one reason the elderly become victims is isolation. The Collier Senior Center goes a long way in keeping seniors connected with the community and with each other. The Collier Senior Center, located at 4898 Coronado Parkway in Golden Gate, provides comprehensive information regarding services and resources that affect the quality of life of older adults and their caregivers in Collier County, empowering them to maintain independent and meaningful lives. Here's Esther Lully, director of Collier Senior Center. 
everyone. Every senior is welcome. There's diversity there. It's vibrant. It's a caring atmosphere. So there's a reason we offer the services and programs that we do. We want to help enrich the lives of senior members and provide support to their caregivers. Want to find out more? Visit CollierSeniorCenter.org. That's CollierSeniorCenter.org. Or call the Collier Senior Center at 239-252-4541. That's 252-4541. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by internationalhealthplans.com. If you're planning on traveling abroad, you should be aware that most health insurance plans here in the United States don't cover international travel. So you want to travel with confidence, and you could do it for pretty short money. All you have to do is visit the website internationalhealthplans.com, internationalhealthplans.com. Coming up, we're going to visit with Professor Andrew Joppa. Right now we have with us Bob Levy. Bob is the Chairman Emeritus of the Cato Institute. Bob, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Always a pleasure. Good to be with you, Bob. Thank you, Bob. Tell us about the Cato Institute. We are a libertarian think tank headquartered in Washington, D.C., and focused on free markets, private property, securing individual rights, and limited government, cato.org on the web. Thank you, Bob. So I uh, thought it'd be interesting to talk about the controversy over social media, and there certainly is uh, two sides to this coin. What's the gripe against social media from the left? This all began back in 2017 and 18, and basically the gripe is that Trump won the 2016 election and the left lost. And the losers blamed that on misinformation, and they explained Trump's win by invoking the superstition that ordinary men and women are so hoodwinked by uh, Facebook and Twitter that they couldn't be trusted with the freedom to make up their own minds. See, you know, on the left, the, the proponents of social media regulation seem to forget that the regulator, if if censorship had been implemented after 2016, the regulator would have been the Trump administration. So I suspect it would have been less concerned from the left about the impact of Facebook et al. if if Hillary had won. Yeah. Uh, any Trump critics of social media couldn't quite admit uh, first that he touched a nerve among millions of disaffected Americans who are not white supremacists or bigots or deplorables. And, uh, and second, that elections are always about relative rather than absolute preferences. And the choice back then was Trump versus Hillary. You can't blame that one on social media. Now, on the merits, if the Democrats were able to require more filtering of both what they consider to be misinformation and what they consider to be offensive, insensitive material, then these companies would have to screen every picture, video, comment, review to avoid legal liability. So we'd have newspaper comment sections, review sites, of course, social media, they wouldn't be possible. And YouTube users, this is an extraordinary number, YouTube users actually upload 500 hours of video every minute. So it would take an army of lawyers to be able to screen uh, that kind of content. 
Well, I must say, <clears throat> you know, I think that uh, we can't underestimate the impact that the media, the mainstream media, the social media has on uh, people's views. It's just extraordinary what's happened over the last, uh, I'm going to say, decade or two. What's the gripe against social media from the right? Yeah, it's not the left. It's uh, just the left that's upset. Um, <clears throat> you know, Missouri's uh, Republican Senator Josh Hawley, and there are a lot of others in this so-called national conservative camp who want to regulate social media to cure uh, what they consider to be an anti-conservative bias that's centered in the Silicon Valley. Mm -hmm. So uh, I think it's it's one thing to suggest that Facebook and Twitter should be more discriminating in screening what's posted. It's quite another thing to argue, as as many on both the far left and the far right have argued that government should regulate social media to determine what passes muster uh, for us uh, gullible greenhorns to uh, to look at. If if the Republicans were able to eliminate content moderation, just like I said about the Democrat filtering, every host of a review page, event posting, comment section would have to allow things like beheading videos, terrorist propaganda, sexual harassment, bomb-making videos. All of that, by the way, is protected content under the First Amendment. So there is a sense in which we have to have some content moderation by social media. Yeah, well, there's no question. You can just tell there's something wrong here. So right. tell us about Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act. Yeah, this is a section that provides, this is what's at controversy, and it provides websites with both a sword and a shield. So the shield says that no website can be sued for what appears on the website. It says no website, quote, shall be treated as the publisher of any information posted by another content provider. So in other words, the website's providing a platform, it's not actually the publisher. The sword says no website can be sued for not posting content. It says no website shall be held liable for restricting access to material that the website considers to be obscene, excessively violent, harassing, or otherwise objectionable, whether or not mm -hmm. the material is constitutionally uh, protected. And interestingly, this section, it, it's triggered functionally, not by the type of company to which it's applied. So if, if Facebook, for example, which is predominantly a platform for content produced by others, if Facebook were to publish its own content, then certainly Section 230 would not apply. On the other hand, if the New York Times, which is primarily a publisher of its own content, were to post or remove posts, uh, commentary by other people on its website, then Section 230 would afford protection to the New York Times. So it's broader than just social media. Hmm, interesting. Well, now, before uh, Section 230, there was the Fairness Doctrine. How did that work out? Yeah, about 50 years ago, the Fairness <clears throat> Doctrine required broadcasters <clears throat> to present contrasting views about uh, controversial issues. There was a First Amendment case called Red Lion Broadcasting versus the FCC uh, back in 1969. The Supremes held 
<clears throat> upheld the uh, FCC's authority to enforce that fairness doctrine against the First Amendment challenge because the FCC had actually awarded scare, scarce broadcast spectrum to these uh, various um, um, broadcasters. Mm-hmm. Subsequently, this scarcity problem, as we now know, went away. There's no longer a scarcity of broadcast spectrum. And the FCC essentially eliminated the policy. It was never effectively repealed. It just went away. So now the question is whether companies like Facebook and Twitter have sufficient monopoly power to create the equivalent of scarce social media spectrum. And if so, uh, what, what would be the First Amendment implications if we had a new social media fairness doctrine that replaced uh, Section 230? Uh, I think it's worth bearing in mind that these websites are not utilities or common carriers. They don't offer, you know, a standardized service such as transportation or a commodity like electricity. They they host expressive content and varied viewpoints. So they have property rights because unlike the common carriers and the utilities, they were not granted monopoly power uh, by public certificates of convenience and necessity or by an allocation of scarce broadcast spectrum. Whatever market power these websites had, they have because their customers like to use them. Well, I'm personally grateful we don't have a fairness doctrine anymore. I mean, otherwise we'd be just sitting around listening on the radio to Vaughn and Nerove records, but because uh, uh, <laughs> outlets wouldn't wouldn't broadcast anything that was controversial to avoid yes, the issue. Right. So should we have a fairness doctrine to replace 230? Well, you know, government allocated this broadcast spectrum, but it doesn't allocate social media Mm -hmm. uh, spectrum. If the social media companies do have monopoly power, it's it's been earned, not government conferred. And if we regulate against monopoly, that requires three things. We have to define the relevant market. We have to show that there's insufficient competition. And we have to demonstrate that consumers are harmed by that. So first, the relevant market is, in this case, I think, communications, not just social media, but Uh communications, which includes TV, radio, newspapers, magazines, direct mail, and lots more. And second, even if we agree that only social media is the relevant market, the existence of various alternatives, you know, Reddit has about 430 million users, uh, Discord about 250 million, LinkedIn about 700 million, Snapchat about 300 million. That diminishes the monopoly power uh, argument. And third, from the perspective of protecting consumers, remember Facebook and Twitter, there's zero price to consumers. And these digital ads that are driven by customer data, they're now cheaper and more plentiful than ever. So it's, it's difficult to argue that consumers are being harmed. Section 230 protects against excessive litigation. Mm-hmm. And that's why, interestingly, you have giants like Facebook, and they favor revising 230. Why? Because they want to be able to disadvantage their competitors who can't afford this kind of costly litigation. It's the First Amendment that principally protects against liability. So, Bob, i got to move on right now. I'd love to ask to get an answer to the content moderation and what you'd recommend, but uh, maybe we'll save that to start off the next show. 
Bob Great, Le- good. Sounds like a good topic. Yeah, Bob Levy again, uh, Chairman Emeritus of the Cato Institute, Cato.org, C-A-T-O.org. Bob, genuinely appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Great to be with you, Bob. Thank you so much. All right, coming up, Andrew Joppa, professor and author of Josephus of Oz, that and more, right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. <laughs> Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harton Show here on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. Do you have questions about your retirement? Ameriprise Private Wealth Advisor Jason Nardella with Nardella Financial Group, a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, can help. With the exclusive Confident Retirement Approach, you'll work together to develop a retirement roadmap to get you where you want to go. Call Nardella Financial Group today at 239-325-1041. That's 239-325-1041. Office is located at 9015 Stratospell Court, Suite 103, Naples, Florida. The Confident Retirement Approach is not a guarantee of future financial results. Investment advisory products and services are made available through Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, a registered investment advisor. Finish what you started with a Hodges University wheel. You can complete your bachelor's degree in as little as one year with your previously earned credits. What's the wheel? It's a customized bachelor's degree in organizational management. Learn about and apply the business, management, and leadership skills you need to advance your career. You can get unmatched educational experience with classes held once a week on campus in Fort Myers, in Port Charlotte, or Naples. You'll be immersed in classes taught by professors with real-world experience in the areas of business, management, and leadership. This degree can be applied to all areas of professional career. Learn more by calling 239-938-7700. That's 239-938-7700. Or visit Hodges.edu. Stay near and go far with Hodges University. Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. We're providing you news and commentary rooted in a commitment to individual liberty, personal responsibility, limited government, and the rule of law. We have with us Professor Andrew Joppa, author of Josephus of Oz. Andrew, Andy, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Good, good morning. Andy will suffice, Bob. I understand, Andy. I'll start calling you Robert pretty soon. No, no, don't do that. <laughs> So we always start our discussions on Wednesday with uh, some good news. Do you have some good news for us? I I have some that I think are worth noting. In a recent poll, uh, Donald Trump polled at 50% uh, as compared to DeSantis at 24%. Everybody else was a distant uh, third, fourth, and fifth. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, you know I'm a Trump supporter, but the main reason I find those numbers encouraging is I do not want to see Ron DeSantis enter this campaign. Uh, If there's going to be a primary, let Trump go against Pompeo, Pence, Haley, and and so forth. But I think this uh, primary uh, with DeSantis in it will weaken DeSantis for future political roles, and I don't want to see that happen. So I think that this number will discourage Ron from going into this primary at this point. And for me, to, for me, that is good news in terms of um, my desire to see Trump in 2024 and then DeSantis 28 and 32. 
Yeah, you know, uh, I'll, I'll take the opposite point of view. I would, uh, I, I don't think it'll harm him at all if he runs, and I think it will enrich the dialogue back and forth and the trash talking and so forth uh, for this uh, campaign. And I think it could elevate actually uh, uh, DeSantis on the public stage. I mean, I would hope that's true. I, I have nothing but the, the highest regard for Ron DeSantis. I, I, I was discouraged somewhat with his uh, reversal on his uh, Ukrainian statement that this was a territorial dispute, although that's probably the most um, benign way of defining this. But on the other hand, I think he should have either clarified uh, his uh, or changed his statement before he made it or uh, should not have gone back and reversed it. So I don't like to see these type of reversals in foreign diplomacy situations. So, yeah, I'm just pointing that out as one one thing that I think might uh, come out of this is a uh, is a, uh, a series of missteps in the foreign environment, in foreign diplomacy environment uh, for DeSantis. And I, I don't want to see him damaged going forward. Well, you know, it's a learning experience for him, isn't it? I mean, right now he's on the national stage and uh, they're kind of picking lint off of a white suit here. So the, the intensity of the criticism gets hot, uh, greater and greater as he decides to elevate his position on the national stage. So, uh, you know, it, it may serve him well to actually run. Well, I mean, I, if it happens, I certainly hope that's true. Uh, as you, as I just expressed, that's uh, my, my view is that it would, it may damage him. I'm not the, predicting that it absolutely will, uh, but I think Trump will emerge as the the primary winner. Yep. Uh, and uh, then we have to see what happens in 2024 in terms of legal elections, Bob. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, I I love DeSantis. I'd love to see him become president. In 2028, <laughs> I agree with you. I, I don't want to, you know, unless the uh, the, uh, the Tallahassee legislature can can change our laws here, where uh, that would allow DeSantis to stay in the governor's chair as he does run in the primary. Yeah. Um, I don't want to lose DeSantis also as a as the Florida governor, Bob. Hey, that's a great point, Andy. So uh, I appreciate that point of view. Uh, any other good news? Well, there was some recent polling, which I think is, is, a, is a positive projection into the future. The recent polling shows that the American people are becoming increasingly, increasingly aware of the, the false leftist narratives. For example, they are, uh, the majority now uh, say that the government tried to hide COVID-19 information from them. The majority now believe that the January 6th narrative is a lie. The, ma the majority now believe that to a certain degree the 2020 election was stolen. So if we look at across the board, all of the leftist narratives that they have worked so hard to, uh, to inculcate into the American people now seem to be crumbling with the majority now understanding the, uh, the, uh, the distortions that were inherent in these narratives. So I think that is a, that is a good news story as we go forward. Uh, on the other hand, there are uh, comparable pollings going on right now, which show that only 39% of the American people think that religion is important to them, and only 38% said that patriotism is important. Both of these are significant drop-offs uh, yeah. from where they were only five years ago. So uh, on one hand, I see positive polling information uh, taking us forward. On the other hand, I, I see some negatives. And by the way, the negatives also include that the majority majority of the Americans, a considerable majority, think we haven't done enough uh, to, uh, to propagate gay, lesbian, bisexual, or gender equality in this country. I, I can't imagine what else we could do 
to to do those things. We've certainly uh, done backflips to uh, to accomplish positive ends for all of these groups, and yet the majority of the American people still feels that more has to be done. You know, I saw uh, an interview of the Pittsburgh Steelers coach, football coach, and uh, uh, they say, do you think this, uh, they said, are, are there enough candidates? Now, this is a reporter asking, are there enough candidates, uh, black candidates for uh, the job of head coach? And his, his comment was, he said, you know, I, if you guys had just stopped bringing up race, perhaps we could all uh, stop talking about race. My point being this is, you know, it's because the left is bringing it up and bringing it up and making it an issue. We just have to stop responding to it. Well, I think that's that's true. But, you know, in this particular uh, comment that I just made, it wasn't primarily focused on race, but other other minority issues. Right. Uh, on the other hand, I totally I totally agree with you. For example, I've, I've long made the point, this goes back uh, a decade or so, Bob, where if there was no racism in America, hypothetically, there was no racism in America, would anybody tell you? Of course not. So the question then becomes one, how do you know it's not now? You say, I think it is now, Bob. Uh, but again, on the other hand, since we continuously uh, extend these conversations about race, uh, it, it maintains the very existence of the concept. Absolutely. Andy, we need to take just a little bit of a break. Can you stick around? I'll be here, Bob. All right, we're going to have more here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. <laughs> Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harton Show here on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. Finish what you started with a Hodges University wheel. You can complete your bachelor's degree in as little as one year with your previously earned credits. What's the wheel? It's a customized bachelor's degree in organizational management. Learn about and apply the business, management, and leadership skills you need to advance your career. You can get unmatched educational experience with classes held once a week on campus in Fort Myers, in Port Charlotte, or Naples. You'll be immersed in classes taught by professors with real-world experience in the areas of business, management, and leadership. This degree can be applied to all areas of professional career. Learn more by calling 239-938-7700. That's 239-938-7700. Or visit Hodges.edu. Stay near and go far with Hodges University. Do you suffer from joint pain in your shoulders, hips, or knees? I was suffering from debilitating pain in my knees. On a referral, I saw Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine. He successfully treated my symptoms and pain for several months. Finally, having exhausted all alternatives for pain management, Dr. Markovich and I agreed that surgery was my best alternative. Dr. Markovich replaced both of my knees in 2006, and I now have full range of motion in both knees, and I have no pain. I now I'll play golf and exercise free of debilitating pain in my knees. Don't suffer needlessly with joint pain. Call orthopedic surgeon Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine at 482-5399. That's 482-5399. He did a great job for me and he'll help you too. times they're changing and trends in funeral services are no exception. The traditional, somber, formal affair marking one's passing is transitioning into a celebratory event where family and friends can gather in more casually in a relaxed setting that incorporates the comforts of home. Each of issues unique. 
We're all made up of little details that makes us different and irreplaceable. At Hodges Funeral Home at Naples Memorial Gardens, there are many details that set them apart, differences you'll find nowhere else. Hodges Funeral Home at Memorial Gardens offers flexible chapel and event space, a modern funeral home, a celebration of life center, cremation options, and a 100% service guarantee. Call Hodges Funeral Home at Naples Memorial Gardens at 239-597-3101. That's 239-597-3101. Or visit the website DignityMemorial.com. That's www.DignityMemorial.com. Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host... Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Gulf Shore Playhouse, changing lives through exceptional theater experiences. And uh, right now they're uh, barefoot in the park. Uh, Neil Simon's great play is playing right now. I talked to a couple of friends of mine. They said it was absolutely a terrific performance. It's running through April the 16th, and you can uh, get tickets and find out more by visiting the website gulfshoreplayhouse.org, gulfshoreplayhouse.org. Org. We continue the conversation with Andy Joppa. Andy, again, thank you so much for joining us here on the There's show. No place I'd rather be, Bob. Oh, thank you, Andy. So I always appreciate your comments on what's happening locally or, or in uh, in news. And one of the headlines, of course, this week is this horrific shooting uh, at the school at the uh, uh, Christian school this week. What are your thoughts? Well, I mean, it's it's. I mean, obviously, it's it's horrible. I look at the uh, little nine-year-old kids that were killed and the administrators that were killed, and uh, just just horrible things that uh, that uh, hard to imagine, and uh, even in our worst worst nightmares. But there is a, a good news story, I guess, that can be extracted out of that. That probably many lives were saved by what seemed to be the incredible training that must have been given to the uh, Nashville police officers uh, as they responded and coordinated their uh, their uh, entry into the school and took down the killer. I'm sure they saved uh, many, many lives with the, with the rapid nature of their response and their absolute uh, coordinated efficiency uh, in stopping, uh, stopping this slaughter. So I, I think that is a good news story. Uh, it saved lives. There's, there's no doubt in my mind that that, that occurred. Yep. Now, if we look at the way the leftist media responded, of course, their, their first line of attack was the, the weapons uh, comments, uh, which was inevitable. And then, uh, amazingly, the, uh, after even they found out that the shooter was dra- transgender, instead of just ignoring that particular identifying demographic, they began to comment on the inappropriate use of gender identifiers, which, <laughs> my goodness, you know, if, if you can't just drop this nonsense at a point in time when six people, three children have been slaughtered, then I, I find your position to be one that's lacking in, in any sense of human dignity, Bob. Oh, it's, it's so well said. I'm so happy that you brought that up. I think the response time was something from the, the 9-11 call, uh, and 13 minutes later, they were there and apprehending the guy and killing him, uh, the guy who perpetrated this. So uh, that is a fan, compared to what happened in Texas, a fantastic. I mean, compared to well, Uvalde, I mean, there was no, and they probably learned a lot from the from the inappropriate police reactions in Ovalde, Bob. Absolutely. And, you know, it's no wonder, uh, you know, uh, take a look at what's happening with our military right now. We're having trouble recruiting and getting people into the service, and yet we're teaching them uh, all this woke nonsense. Uh, and uh, I think a lot of people are saying, you know, I'm not going to go in the service. I'm not going to uh, put my life on the line for this nonsense. 
Well, and that, that's a point I was going to make. If we get back to one of those pieces of polling information, the, the rather precipitous decline in patriotism, I, I think that's one of the, the major issues in, in terms of uh, declining uh, um, enlistment in the military. Yeah. I think there was uh, also the issue of uh, most of the enlistment was coming from the, uh, the south, the southern states. Uh, a lot of young men, uh, 18, 19-year-old young, young men out of high school, uh, to document their manhood, what entered into the into the military yeah. now with the military being so uh, just uh, absolutely woke by every measurement yeah. a, a lot of these younger men that were going in to document their their manhood no longer can can get that done uh, so I think what we're looking at right now and it's to paraphrase an old song Bob uh, paraphrasing that song is you don't know what you've got until you use it. So I think we can talk all we want about the size of the military, but I think until we actually have to use that in large-scale conventional warfare uh, circumstances, I have serious doubts that this, that this military will respond. I think the special forces units and the, uh, the local operations, I think, are going to be successful because the military can sustain that with technology and enough good men and women going in. But on the other hand, larger types of military conflicts, I think, would find us lacking in general, Bob. Uh, absolutely. Well, look, we've depleted our, our arsenal. Uh, we've sent it all over to uh, Ukraine. Uh, we're we're in sorry shape if we had to have some sort of a conflict or, or address some sort of a conflict right now with the United States and let's say China. And by the way, China's influence is uh, growing in Africa and all over the world. We sent Kamala Harris. <laughs> oh, my goodness, if Kamala Harris is the answer, what is the question? Bob? Yeah, that's exactly right. So we sent her to give this major address. Oh, I guess it was Ghana, if I'm not mistaken. And again, another word salad. I mean, it's just the embarrassment on the world stage that we have this stuff going on. It's incredible. I do want to talk a lot about Africa because I think it's a, an important issue that is being ignored for the most part, ignored for the most part, uh, by the American media and in the political environment, both yeah. left and right. So uh, I do want to talk a lot about Africa, but let me just make a few more comments about the the military built on some historic perspectives of, of how these things can be evaluated. Herodotus, the, the famous historian, said soft men tend to be born from soft countries. Uh, there's another saying which has gained a lot of currency, which is hard times create strong men, strong men create good times, good times create weak men, and weak men create hard times. It is my, uh, my view that where we are is in a period of good times creating weak men. Yeah. Now, there are some biologic measurements we can have on that, so, I mean, uh, that perhaps are not absolute smoking guns, but on the other hand, they are indicative of trending biologically. For example, decreased testosterone levels in, in the majority of the American males, uh, the decreasing sperm count. Hard to assess exactly what is causing this, but it can be a factor of the American culture and the lifestyle producing soft men in good times, Bob. Uh, so interesting and a great observation indeed. I wonder if that's worldwide. Uh, I, I don't know, but uh, I just raised the question about what's happening with uh, males right now because there, there is a decrease, and just as you described it, and it's going to lead to a population decrease. It's going to lead to serious problems around the globe. 
Well, we're already having that. We talked about this before. The uh, replacement rate in Europe is in almost every country below the, re- the actual replacement rate need. Uh, some countries are particularly suffering through that. Spain, Italy, for example. Right. Uh, you can project their particular cultures will disappear in, in anywhere from 20 to 30 years, I guess. Uh, so this, this is a serious factor. Our birth rate uh, right now, and if we talk about white American birth rate, and that's not necessarily the only criteria we can use, but the white birth rate in in America is about 1.2, with a 2.1 needed for replacement. So, you know, a lot of people would say that's good news, I guess. Uh, But again, when we're looking at that basic population decreasing so dramatically, I think that is a story of concern, Bob. Absolutely. Andy, again, we need to take just another little break. Can you stick around? I will be here. All All right, we're going to have more here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. You have questions about your retirement? Ameriprise Private Wealth Advisor Jason Nardella with Nardella Financial Group, a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, can help. With the exclusive Confident Retirement Approach, you'll work together to develop a retirement roadmap to get you where you want to go. Call Nardella Financial Group today at 239-325-1041. That's 239-325-1041. Office is located at 9015 Stratistel Court, Suite 103, Naples, Florida. The Confident Retirement Approach is not a guarantee of future financial results. Investment advisory products and services are made available through Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, a registered investment advisor. Blue Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Linda and myself. Blue Provence, located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. Experience award-winning cuisine at Blue Provence and enjoy one of Florida's most extensive, eclectic, and fun wine cellars. Dining to choice are the popular Eden Bar, the intimate Courtyard Garden, or the beautiful Provencal Caribbean Dining Room. Enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual and relaxed atmosphere that includes a taste of Provencal hospitality. Blue Provence is open seven days a week, all year round. Visit BlueProvenceNaples.com for reservations, everyday specials, and coming events. That's BlueProvenceNaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples. Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability. They get the politics and know the policy. They help prepare elected officials uh, to win in the legislature. You can find out more. It's a great organization. By the way, I serve on the board. TheFGA.org. TheFGA.org. We continue the conversation with Andrew Joppa, professor and author of Josephus of Oz. Again, Andy, thank you so much for joining us. Good morning, Bob. Andy, we touched on it a little earlier in the show, but uh, the whole notion that Africa spreading its influence around the world, especially in Africa, I just want to get your thoughts on that. Well, uh, Kamala Harris is over there, and of course she is 
not of course, but she is focusing her talks on the uh, the, the the history of slavery and the uh, the horrors of slavery. You know, which are certainly uh, uh, accurate in in terms of those those topics. But on the other hand, when she goes over to Africa, she's highlighting one of the problems in the sense that Africans still recognize the negative impact of colonialism, uh, and that can go back to uh, the advent of of slavery as a uh, as a derivative of tribal warfare. In, in Africa. That's not what China does, for example. China does not go over to, uh, to Africa and talk about the downside of history. China goes over there and promotes uh, the development of, of, of the urbanization of China. Even since the, uh, the advent of Mao Zedong's uh, Communist China in 1949, uh, China has been actively seeking partnerships uh, in, in Africa. And right now, um, uh, the largest trading partner of Africa is uh, is China. Uh, they are developing the infrastructure of China far more rapidly uh, than any other country in the world by by far. Uh, there are thousands, tens of thousands of Chinese businesses operating across the continent. Uh, so China is successfully gaining a foothold in Africa. They've been doing it for over the past 70 years. And the West, on the other hand, seems to be uh, almost accepting this uh, this uh, loss with the this growing economy, this large uh, growing Africa, which by 2035, I think they're projecting, uh, the population of uh, of Africa will be 2.5 billion people yeah. with a rapidly growing economy. And the West, now we're not ignoring it, but when the West goes in, primarily when I say the West, I'm saying the United States, we put, we put, uh, uh, Things onto our aid, uh, which are going to be restrictive. For example, we'll tie tie aid to solar power. We'll tie aid to a general carbon reduction. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. Although personally, I feel those are not important concepts. But on the other hand, China does not do that. China offers aid uh, in an unlimited fashion with no restrictions, and China is going to control and is controlling Africa at this point, Bob. Well, I'll say this, that their strategy, they, they certainly provide the aid, but uh, many times that's in the form of a loan that the African countries can't pay back. So they get their tentacles deeply embedded in, in these countries and get uh, some their, their influence known. It's just un, unbelievable. And I'll say this, the context for what's going on with China is the fact that we, you know, the fish rots from the head down and our leadership right now is becoming a laughingstock. And we're seeing uh, our leadership diminished around the globe, even where the, the yuan, the Chinese uh, currency, it may end up being the currency of the world in terms of our trade. That, that would be such a serious blow to our economy, Bob. It's hard to imagine. Absolutely. So, <clears throat> so again, uh, you know, we, we take a look at the uh, relationship between Russia and China. That's growing in terms of its bonds together. We like, take a look at what's happening with Iran. We take a look at Saudi Arabia and now showing allegiance to its uh, relationship with uh, uh, with Iran as well as uh, with Russia and China. So, the, you know, the, the uh, avenues, the doors are beginning to close on us, on the United States, and uh, on the world stage. I, I think it's, it's humiliating to the countries that we visit with someone like Kamala Harris. In other words, if, 
if you are, you feel so little, think so little of these countries mm-hmm. that you would send Kamala Harris in as your representative. Uh, to me, that's that's an insult to these countries. These people are not ignorant, especially. Uh, I mean, I have known uh, hundreds of Africans in my in my academic career. These are proud people with a high sense of dignity about themselves and about their countries. Yeah. Uh, these are these are proud, intelligent people. They are not missing the nature of what's going on in our government, especially as represented by Kamala Harris, Bob. Absolutely. Well, so, you know, before I let you go, any any thoughts on reparations? Uh, it's just the absurdity of it is just it can't be spoken. The amount of impact that would have uh, negative in terms of uh, antagonisms further further deepened in this country. I, 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 but I believe it's going to happen. I don't think the numbers will be 5 million as in San Francisco's uh, first projection, but I think there's going to be substantial reparations paid. I think it'll be localized in urban areas like San Francisco at first. But again, if this government stays as it is and does not get deflected by a new uh, Republican administration in 24, I can see there being federal reparations being offered, Bob. Can you really? I, to me, that is just beyond the pale. That's a bridge too far. You know, I bet there were many things happening now that were beyond the pale for you 10 years ago. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. But, you know, first of all, California being a free state, never had uh, slaves. Uh, first, second of all, not having the money in order to pay reparations. And third of all, to consider doing this, it's just it, it's kind of like defunding the police. Say, what are these people thinking? Well, I'm, I'm just wondering how they're going to separate the descendants from the black slave owners that existed. Ten percent of the free blacks in America at the time of the Civil War owned slaves themselves. Yeah. Uh, one owned as many as 260 slaves. So, I mean, how are they going to differentiate between the descendants of slave owners as compared to the descendants of slaves? And there are so many other uh, absurdities that are associated with this. Book. Unbelievable. Yeah. And Andrew Joppa, professor and author of Josephus of Oz, of if you haven't read Josephus of Oz, it's a great read, uh, off topic for our discussion today, but certainly extremely interesting. Uh, Josephus of Oz by Andrew Joppa. Professor, I want to just thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you, Bob. I'll see you tomorrow. I well, look forward to it. Thank you, Andy. And that'll be at uh, Lulabee's Diner. Uh, we're going to meet for lunch tomorrow. It's always fun. And by the way, Lulabee's Diner is starting to serve dinner. That's uh, Wednesday through Saturday, 4 to 8 p.m. The menu is just terrific. They have, of course, the great breakfast and lunch menu, but also they got some comfort food as well as some great seafood items, and uh, the chef is just absolutely extraordinary. So I hope you'll visit Lulabee's Diner at the Green Tree Shopping Center uh, and uh, enjoy not only breakfast and lunch, but as well as dinner. Well, that's a wrap here in today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, tomorrow, we've got great guests, including Keith Flaw, the co-founder of the Florida Citizens Alliance. Great news when it comes to public education here in Florida. Michael Candace, Director of Health Policy Studies at the Cato Institute, will be joining us, as well as Seton Motley, the founder and president of Less Government. And Bill Barnett, former mayor of Naples, will be joining us as well. Always appreciate your comments on the show. You can send me an email at bobharden at hotmail.com, bobharden at hotmail.com. Uh, also, if you enjoy the show, tell your friends. It's a way we build our listenership and uh, reward our advertisers, and we can't do the show without them. I hope you make it a great day on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste. Thanks so much for listening to the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. 
For more information and audio files of previous shows, visit www.bobharden.com. <laughs>